Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 333 of F Stop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. Pardon the clutter, that is all of my food for the Colorado Trail, which I am probably just getting home from if you're listening to this episode normally and not early on Patreon, where it was released in June. On today's episode, I sat down and had a fantastic conversation with Kaisa Siren. For her professional work, Kaisa is a freelance photojournalist, and for her personal work, she specializes in intentional camera movement, or ICM. Quite the contrast. On today's episode, we compare and contrast these two forms of photography, and we dive deep into the how, why, and what of ICM. If you enjoy ICM and abstract photography, there is a great community that already exists where you can get feedback on your images and rapidly improve your work. That community is Nature Photographers Network, or NPN. NPN is your go-to source for inspiration, thought-provoking content, and crucial feedback that's needed to become a better photographer. Listeners of the podcast should go to npn.link forward slash f-stop to join and be sure to use the code f-stop10 for your 10% discount off of your already low $49 per year membership, which provides you with tremendous amount of value. Trust me, it's amazing. That's npn.link forward slash f-stop. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Kaisa Siren. All right, Kaisa Siren, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. This is a great opportunity. Thanks for that. Of course, and I hope I said your name correctly. Yes, absolutely. It was perfect. Wow. You, you speak fluent Finnish. Oh, <laughs> that's brilliant. That's all right. So I'm, we're done. You just made my day. So that's great. No. <laughs> Good start. Yeah. Well, I cannot remember uh, who recommended you. It must have been a year or two ago now. But, uh, you know, I, I love that our guests recommend people that. I've never heard of or that I'm not familiar with because it helps me expand my network and helps me learn about new artists and subsequently it also helps my audience learn about new people and new techniques that can help them become better photographers or maybe expand their way of thinking about things so I'm really happy we could make this happen. Yes, this is a great opportunity and I mean ICM photography, intentional camera movement, it's my passion. I love to do it and I love to share it and I love to talk about it so Good. Great opportunity. Good, good, good. Well, for, for people that aren't familiar with you and have not seen your photography yet, um, would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Um, I'm from Finland, and I live in the northern part of the country. Uh, my home is right at the Arctic Circle. It's the town where Santa Claus lives, <laughs> so I have good neighbors. <laughs> uh, the place is called Rovaniemi, and this is the county of Lapland. So we have a lot of reindeer here. I work here as a photojournalist. That's my day job. So I work as a freelancer for several newspapers, magazines, and many, many, many of them, which mostly are published in the southern part of the country. And since I want to do photography 24-7, I also want to do it on my free time. And I try... Of course, I try to have as much free time as possible, but there isn't too much of it, not enough anyway. But I do then my artistic work during my free time. And uh, that means evenings and weekends and night times, and <laughs> especially night time now that we have 24 hours of daylight <laughs> shining here. So, um, yeah, and I have been doing... Um, uh, I, I studied photography and became a photojournalist. I studied photojournalism in Toronto, in Canada. And I graduated already mid-80s. And um, then I moved back to Finland to get some experience. I worked as a staff photographer in a newspaper. But then I met my husband. I moved up here north. And I worked 15 years in our uh, travel company. And I hardly did any photography at the time mm. during those 15 years. But then once I quit there in 2001, then I got back into my real job, which was the photojournalism. And 
and the artistic work. That, that's what I do. Nice. And I'm, I'm a little surprised, you know, I've heard in Europe, it seems like there's a little bit more of a market for photojournalism than still exists here in the United States, or maybe I'm just jaded. <laughs> uh, of course, I don't know what the situation there is, but at least here, there's still is demand for photojournalism. It has changed a lot, in, even during the years that I have been doing it. Most of the jobs that I do are photo shoots of people who have done something, mm. and there's a story written about the person, and we need the, you know, we need the pictures at their job or on a location somewhere. Earlier, we had much more of these reportage kind, mm -hmm. you know, you go out and you follow someone at their work for eight or ten hours or there's some kind of phenomena going on and you follow that for a day or two and then there's a reportage in the newspaper. Those are getting really rare. Mm -hmm. But still, there is a lot of demand. We are still needed as photographers. Yes. And uh, actually the job situation here in the north is quite good because there aren't so many of us around. Yeah, I mean, AI is not going to replace images of real people that have a story written about them. <laughs> I hope so anyway. <laughs> um, at least not yet. It's, yeah, at least not yet. It's coming amazingly fast and I'm sure it will affect our job as well. But I still hope that people... Um, Real pictures of real people are needed. <laughs> right, right, right. I have faith in that. Yeah. Well, what is it? What's it like living at the Arctic Circle as a photographer? I mean, are you? Is it like negative twenty degrees there right now? And and you know you've got reindeer frolicking through your through your yard twenty four seven. I mean, obviously I'm being a little bit on the silly side here, but tell us what it's really like. It's wonderful, <laughs> of course. <laughs> It's a land of contrasts, let's put it this way. In the wintertime, which means beginning of November till end of April, we have snow. We see the climate change also. The winter is getting a little bit shorter from both ends. But in general, at least mid-November till mid-April, we have snow and we have negative degrees. And we have uh, less light, of course, during November, December, January. The day is very short. It's not pitch black, as many people think. But we have about four hours of daylight and we have wonderful colors of polar night. It's, it's dawn and then it's dusk within the four hours. And then you have the snow that reflects all those nice colors. That sounds amazing for me as a photographer. <laughs> It is. It's really amazing. Of course, as a photographer, it's uh, challenging for your equipment, mm -hmm. being outside and making sure that you have all the batteries charged and you have enough of them and everything works. But um, when you have professional equipment, everything usually works well. And then on the contrary, the time that we are living at the moment, um, we have 24 hours of daylight. Usually from early May on, it doesn't get dark anymore. And it lasts till about middle of August. But the period here where I live at the Arctic Circle, we have one month when the sun doesn't actually set at all. So sun stays above the horizon. And it's a wonderful time again because the sun isn't way up high like during the daytime, but it's just above the horizon, you saw, you have this light that comes on an angle, mm. and it's really orangey and yellow during the night time. Beautiful. It's a great time for our landscape photographer. Right. This is a dream, dream world, really. Otherwise, otherwise, life is as anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. In modern times, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, let's yeah. let's jump into some of these heavier topics here you know you've explained that you're working as a freelance photojournalist and I would love for you to just maybe tell us a little bit more about kind of what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis yep um, before the COVID 
I was very busy and I had four to five photo shoots per week. I tried to organize my calendar so that I would have only one photo shoot per day so that I don't get too stressed and I can concentrate on what I'm doing when I go there. Uh, the driving distances are here very long, can be very long. From my hometown, there's three, still 350 miles of Finland when you go further north. Uh -huh. And I cover all of that area. Uh -huh. So sometimes the driving can take five hours to get somewhere and five hours to come back. And then you have a little bit time to do the photo shoot. But um, so usually I try to organize my calendar so that I have one photo shoot per day and it's on on demand basis. So I have been doing this for quite some time, many, many years. So I'm known in the publishing houses. The companies know me and they call me when they need someone to do a photo shoot here and then off I go. Now, of course, COVID stopped everything for a while and it has picked up quite slowly. Hmm. I'm surprised actually how slowly it's picked up. Mm -hmm. But basically now I might have two or three photo shoots per, per week. And um, of course, money-wise, it's not great, but otherwise I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. Because it gives me time to do my artistic work as well and other jobs that for the photographic work that I do. And I, I'm guessing there's a fair amount of balance between kind of your artistic vision as a photojournalist and what the client wants in terms of, hey, we need these pictures of this person but or this event or whatever, and you kind of show up and you get to put your little, you know, flair of who you are into that. Yeah, I guess they are two totally different worlds in a way. I mean, both have to do with photography, but when you go on a photo shoot that has been ordered by a client, then of course uh, you have certain, they have their demand. Right. And there are certain things that you have to fulfill and you always have to come up with images that can be published. You can't go home and say, oh, sorry, there's nothing there. Right. <laughs> even, though, even though you go on a, on a place where you feel like there's nothing here to photograph, you just have to come up with the solution. And that's really the gem, the part that I love in this job, is that you have to resolve these, I'm not saying problems, but you have to resolve these tasks every time you go to a place. The light is different, the coloring is different, mm -hmm. the people are different. So that's that's the nice part of photojournalism. Yeah. And I can I have very free hands usually, even though magazines have very much been conceptualized today. I mean, they have these slots. We need a picture for this and that, and it has to be vertical or horizontal or whatever. But still I feel that there's quite a bit of freedom when I go out there and I do the pictures and that that keeps it interesting but then of course when you do your artistic work it's a totally different world because there I try to bring myself and my inner into the image right. my soul landscape I try to bring that into the image and that has nothing to do with what someone else has booked or ordered yes so it keeps it interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, you've chosen to specialize in a technique known as intentional camera movement or ICM. And just why? <laughs> yeah, why on earth? <laughs> yeah, why, why, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, why don't you buy a tripod? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's quite a few factors behind that but the first thing is that I love photography and I breathe it and I live it and I do it as my job but I wouldn't be able to do the same thing during my free time I don't want to do the same I have tried to do some photojournalistic private projects but they just don't carry because they are too similar than my work and I want my free time to be something that charges my batteries mm -hmm. so that I can work again. 
So then I started to look for something totally different, and I found half accidentally ICM. And I like the fact that they are like 180 degrees opposite one another. Because then when I do ICM, it doesn't feel at all that it's work, even though it's photography. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can express myself, I can do creative stuff very differently than I do when I do photojournalism. And, um, but I still do photography, which I love. So that's probably the one reason. And then the second reason maybe is that um, I'm a really nature person. I, I'm a forest walker. I need to get to the forest every day. And I do the same route. You know, I have two dogs. I take the dogs for a walk. We go to our home forest. We do this 45 minute round on the trails, which practically is the same trail, pretty much the same trail every day. And if I do traditional photography there, I might get something once a week that is like, wow. But if I do ICM, I can shoot photos on that same trail every morning and everyone is different. Mm. So it's, it's very fulfilling because there's always the element of surprise there. No matter how skilled you are, you still have the element of surprise involved. And it's, it's so different. It's such a different genre from traditional photography that it really feeds your creativity and charges your batteries. Yeah. And that's why I, I love it. I can, I can see how sticking with ICM as somewhat of a limitation helps you to keep things super different, super interesting. And every day that you're out making images, it's going to be something a little bit different because you're probably focusing on different subjects. You're moving your camera a different way. You might be, I don't know if you do any experimentation with multiple exposure, but you can even throw that into the mix. And so then, you know, exactly, pretty much yeah. every day, it's like a whole new adventure. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I do, I live by a small lake, so I do a lot of photography ICM right at my back, backyard and right through the living room window in the wintertime mm. when the sun gets up and the sun goes down. Um, just right there, I have thousands of images from my backyard and they all look different. Yeah, right. But if I did that, if I did the traditional images only, after a while, they would start to look the same. Right, and, you know what I mean? and you'd be bored. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, that's one reason why I did start to take ICM is that I did become a little bit bored with these images. You know, this is what a horse looks like. This is what a lake, lakeside view looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. With traditional stuff. Yeah. Well, why do, you, why do you think ICM is gaining in popularity? Well, I think one reason may be that photographers may have become a little bored with traditional and they start to want to do something very different and look for more, I'm not, I don't know if I can use the word more creative, but different approaches to photography. And uh, in general, it has become more accepted that images don't have to be like knife sharp, razor sharp anymore. Earlier, it was only a good photograph, a nature photograph of a bird was only good if the eyes, and the eye that's closer to the camera is razor sharp. Right. But I think there's more and more acceptance now that People can play around and you can use all kind of experimental lenses and multiple exposures and ICM and different techniques to make a second reality. Mm -hmm. And I think the viewers, people who don't photograph but who look at these photographs, they also, there's also a, a growing demand for this kind of uh, approaches because these images I feel they leave more space for the imagination of the viewer 
than maybe the traditional image. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have a very nice landscape with great light, a traditional image, the viewer can picture him or herself. Okay, here I am sitting by the lake, enjoying the sunset. But if you take the same image with ICM, it becomes more complex and more layered and the viewer must work a little harder to read the image and enjoy it and imagine him or herself there mm -hmm. and and imagine what my what emotions does that image actually raise in me mm -hmm. and i think people want to do that so it's it's becoming more and more popular one of the things i struggle with as someone who looks at a lot of photography <laughs> is whenever I see, not all, but mm, probably a good 75% of images that are ICM, I'm, I get kind of tripped up in a way, I guess, in my own brain, because I'm like, oh, it's ICM. I'm like, it's very obvious to me that this was ICM. Now, the really good ICM stuff that I enjoy, is, I, it's not as obvious that it's ICM. It's um, so I'm yeah. curious if, if you've had a similar reaction to ICM or if maybe I'm just jaded or what do you think? <laughs> well, I think like with traditional photographs, same with ICM. There's really good stuff and there's less good stuff. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if I put it diplomatically, you know what I mean? Um, and with ICM, there's a really thin line when the image is just a shaken, mm -hmm. you know, shaken image and it doesn't work. And when it's a good ICM and it works. And I think many people who try ICM at first, they are not able to cross that thin line because it's very difficult, truly. It's a very difficult technique. And if you don't practice a lot, you don't go over that thin line to get start to make the good images. You usually, people might give up before they cross the line, but they still might want to post it in social media. or And so you see a lot of the stuff that is not so great. There is so much variation to ICM, depending on how much, how, how you move your camera and how long your shutter speed is, um, that you can make so many different kind of effects. Some people like images that are totally abstract, and some people like images which have a clear subject, but still there's a movement mm -hmm. scene. But to do that, it's it's super difficult. It's not like every 10th image is a good one, not at all. Right. And I think also that those who are new to ICM, they don't realize how many images you have to take. Right. I mean, if you take three or 10, it's nothing. If you take 100, okay, it's a start. But if you take 1,000, you're getting there. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the quality of light that's needed for a good ICM image, because I think that might be a piece of the equation that's often missing in terms of um, kind of what you might be looking for in terms of, okay, that looks like I can do something with that. What are some of those ingredients that kind of you're looking out for when you're out making those types of photos? The first thing I look for when I go out is geometrical shapes and lines and forms. That's the first thing. When I see that there is some shapes, then I study the light. But even if the light isn't perfect, it doesn't mean that it couldn't make a good ICM. Um, the third important thing is I look at the color contrast or the contrast in general. Mm. I mean, first, of course, with light, you look at the contrast, but then also the color contrast. There must be a good color contrast in the image in order for it to work or in the subject. So we're talking like color separation, like warms and cools or 
Yeah, and, and complementary colors. Mm -hmm. yep. They always work. They always work. Because there's a phenomenon that happens in ICM is that colors that are adjacent to one another, they blend. So if you have colors that are very close to one another, they blend together and you lose all the contrast and you lose the subject matter. It just becomes one block of one right, color. It's brown or black or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But if you have a very good uh, yellow, for example, and a very good blue adjacent to one another, and when those blend, you get a nice green. Plus, you have the original colors there. Right. So that is something that you have to learn to see when you do ICM. It's a little bit the same when you, if you are a black and white photographer. You have to learn to see the world in black and white in order to understand which works and which not. Sure. And it's the same with ICM. And the light, um, it's important that the contrast is not too high. Right. Because what happens is if you have very light areas, you get these light streaks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or it, gets, across your or it gets totally blown out. Or it gets totally blown out. Right. That's been, and the blacks get totally black. That's been my experience in the few times I've experimented with it in like aspen forests and stuff like that. If it's too bright or there's, you know, the sun's coming through and some of the leaves are really bright and yellow and then the ones below are yeah. darker, it's just, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. Backlight in general is very difficult to control. It's more difficult than with traditional photography. Right, yeah. And, and if you have this light source that's like a spotlight right. coming from backlight. So, so, so ideally you kind of want these low contrast, very even, evenly lit scenes. Uh, yes, it can be evenly lit or you can have contrast and it's, a, it's desired to have a little contrast but not a huge contrast. So there's a sweet spot. But I would say the color contrast is even more important than the tonal value. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. this is sort of similar to my earlier question, but I think it's going to take us in an interesting direction. So, um, you know, I often feel like a lot of ICM images just look the same. They look very similar. They f it feels very monotonous to me. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to challenge you. How am I wrong? Or in other words, how can people engaging in ICM make their work stand out? I agree with you. You're not wrong at all because a lot of the work that we see are trees or sunset landscapes. Right. Right. Like, um, that's pastel usually colors. the two Exactly. Uh, yeah. That's the two subjects that people who start doing uh, ICM they start with. Uh, trees are easy because if you have these tree trunks and it's very easy to do a vertical pan, right. pan there well, the image. It's but they are all over. I was gonna say it, it it it's actually not that easy. Like if you actually try it, you're like, oh this is kinda hard to do, but you're right, that that is that seems like kind of the the trope that everyone kind of tries the first time. Yeah. Including myself. Exactly. Including myself. Yeah. It's much easier than say a horse running on a field. <laughs> <laughs> and and sunsets, same thing. You can get stunning sunset images. Um, but since we see so many of those in social media and everywhere, we kind of get tired and that's what we think that ICM is all about and only about. But it's not. I mean, ICM is a fantastic tool to make images of anything. Things that you would never even imagine of doing with your traditional technique. Um, like in my studio here, I have a big basket filled with woolen socks. So when I have guests coming in, they can put socks on and they have different colors. I would never take a traditional image of those, but the basket makes wonderful ICM images. I have done stuff just taking everything that's blue out of my kitchen cupboard, put it on the on a table, build a setup, and great abstract images from my 
you know, glasses and bases and things like that. Mm. Um, the other day I was working on doing something in black and white. So I took uh, socks, my black socks, believe it or not, and I, I shaped them into a form of um, like a woman wearing a scarf and a, and, um, and a dress. And I took images and when you saw them you would think they are people. Mm. So you have to go a little bit further than just doing your trees and your landscapes. Mm. Sounds The world is open. It sounds to me like uh, you would benefit from a little bit of pre-visualization. Pre that too, but I think any photographer would benefit from that. If I think of my photojournalism work, I always try to have an idea of what I'm going to do. Mm. Even if it's a place where I've never been or a person I never met, I try to pre-visualize. At least it speeds up the process when I know what I'm aiming for. It may be that there's nothing there, <laughs> that, that, that it doesn't work, but I think pre-visualization would help you with any of your photography. And the way I, I, the way I like to work when I go out with my camera is that I have an idea in my mind and I, I look for that, how can I fulfill that idea when I walk in the forest and uh, let's say that today I need an image of something red, for example. I concentrate looking at is there anything red on my way. Of course if a moose comes by I will photograph the moose even though he's brown. But uh, I concentrate in looking for things that are red. Gotcha. And I usually find them. But if I didn't pre-visualize and have that idea, I probably wouldn't find anything except the moose if he comes by <laughs> or the reindeer. Right. No, it's interesting because uh, my approach with most of my nature photography now, for the most part, is to just be very open-minded to what I discover. And um, so there's almost no pre-visualization involved in my, my process these days. But uh -huh. um, I could see where if you're someone who kind of needs to have a plan going out, ICM might be a really good way of going about it because you kind of fix yourself on maybe a color or uh, maybe a set of colors that are complementary like we were talking about or certain shapes. And then you're just trying to key in on those things and then once you find them then you start to do some experimentation to figure out how you want those things to line up and um, I mean maybe you can talk about like some of the techniques you're using because you know most people when they hear ICM they think of like you said like the panning of the camera up and down or maybe like putting your camera on a tripod and just moving it like this way and that way but like I'm sure there's like a billion other ways of doing ICM and maybe you could talk through what some of that looks like. Yes, there's... Unlimited. There's <laughs> as many techniques as there are people doing it, but um, I usually combine movements. Hmm. I seldom do anything with just one movement, panning horizontally, vertically. I use a long enough shutter speed that I have time to do several movements. And, um, so are we talking uh, oh, two seconds? I usually always start at 0 0.6 seconds and I do a test and I see what it looks like and then I start to increase and I go to something like two and a half. And your manual? Uh, always manual. Mm -hmm. Always manual. Oh, I always shoot on burst mode. Ah. Yeah, and I use autofocus. Some people like to use manual focus. It doesn't, I don't think it makes a difference. It's only important that you feel comfortable and you, you don't have to think about the technical part when you're shooting. It all comes from your, you know, from your spinal cord kind of thing. And I suppose, but, uh, and I suppose aperture doesn't matter other than just controlling how much light gets in. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I, I have all my basic settings so that the ISO rating is the lowest the camera allows. 
and then I set the time and then I check what the aperture needs to be and um, then I have it on the burst mode and I usually take about 10 to 15 images in a row hmm. and it looks like something like this <laughs> something like that right you know? for those on that and then not, I look for those not on video you're kind of like going up and down side to side at yeah. diagonals yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah and I follow like I said I look for those geometrical shapes mm -hmm. So I follow those ah. lines that I see in my subject. And then after the 10 shots, 15 shots, I stop and I con have a look and I control and then I decide how I go further. Okay. So like using your example of diagonal lines, let's say you stumble upon a scene where there's, maybe you're in a forest and you stumble across a scene where there's two trees out of, like, that have maybe fallen or tilted over and they're at a V like this. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you're gonna do one motion like to the left up and another motion to the up to the upright and exactly. then you're gonna look to see what that does. Yeah, exactly. And then if my time is long enough, I would say in this case maybe something like at least a second and a half or two seconds, I would have time to do the whole V in one shot. Mm -hmm. And are you ever combining um images that you know, like you've got this one that's the up and this one that's the right. Are you ever combining those in post or in camera? Uh, I shoot with a camera that doesn't allow multiple exposures, unfortunately. You sound like a Sony shooter. I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm super happy with all the other aspects of the camera right. except that one. So I don't do any multiple exposures in camera, but I hardly do any uh, layering in post-processing either okay. because um, for me photography is being out in the nature and doing the images and post-processing is something I have to do so I try to minimize my time mm -hmm. sometimes I do layering when I see that okay this makes a great pair or if I I'm working on a project and I like I was just working, I'm currently working on a project where I needed a picture of a lynx in the forest, which I didn't get in the nature. So then I had to do that in post-processing, but it's very rare. Usually it's all, all one or two minute post-processing plus removing the dust spots. <laughs> gotcha. Well, yeah. I want to take us uh, a step deeper into this layer here um so another kind of thing that i don't know this is going to sound bad but another knock on icm from my point of view is that oftentimes it just looks like again this is just i know this is simplifying it but oftentimes for me it looks like someone is just messing around and then there, there's like this serendipitous oh that looks neat you know like there's no intention behind it and so and not necessarily that like art art requires intention, but I personally think it kind of does. What in your mind makes ICM an artistic creation? This is a good point. Uh, I agree with you again. <laughs> All <laughs> um, right. I also I also think there's a lot of this this um, messing around. Um, and those people usually do ICM for maybe once or twice or three times and then they leave it because then they realize after th the third time that this is really difficult and I can't handle it or I don't right. know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they leave it and they get back to their traditional stuff and they say, oh, yeah, I, I tried it once, but it wasn't for me. Right, right. But um, I don't think ICM... I don't think all ICMs art. Like I don't think all photography is art, mm -hmm. or I don't think all painting is art. Oh, shots fired. I mean, <laughs> it is. It it is. Um, it is art, uh, whereas it's a creation that someone has done. Right. It's a cre it's a result of a creative process, whatever the outcome is. Right. Right. Yes. But art, for me, is a piece of work that moves something in the viewer. Mm -hmm. And if I'm sure that not all ICM work moves 
Well, and I'm sure that not all paintings that you see move something inside the viewers. It may move something in one or the other, but in a larger scale. And if I, as an artist, have an idea that I want to communicate through my piece, and you get it, then I think we are talking about art. Mm -hmm. Or if you, if you don't get exactly the idea that I had, you get something, something moves in you, you start thinking and you say, hey, this looks interesting, I feel sad when I look at this, or I feel happy, or whatever. I think then it's successful art. Mm -hmm. But not all art works. Yeah, I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion, I, I wrote an article for Nature Photographers Network about this, and I've come to the conclusion that, like you said, pretty much anything that we create is art. Um, but there's varying levels of success in art's ability to be more than just a creation. You know, like you said, it can mm. communicate an idea or an emotion, or it can have some intent behind it, um, or have metaphorical meaning, things of that nature. And for me, that that's good art, right? Like, that's excellent art. Yeah. And that's what most, in my opinion, I'm just going to say it, most landscape photography typically doesn't quite rise to that level in my opinion just i mean people are gonna send me hate mail now but i just don't think it does uh, it's still art but it's not at that kind of next tier of kind of communication or whatever so i think we're on the same page yeah i think so too <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah absolutely okay well then let's take that a step further so in icm um, I can see where you have a little bit more freedom and artistic liberty than to have some intention behind how you move the camera, how you're arranging elements, um, dealing with contrast, dealing with complementary colors to have that higher level of communication that might be transmitted through the creation. And I'm wondering what that looks like for you and then I know you've also sent me over this uh, this graphic and maybe this is related to that so let's kind of talk through that a little bit well my aim is to visualize the unseen when I do ICM and sometimes it happens successfully that when you take an ICM image of something you start to see either subjects or colors or layers that were not there in the original subject. And that can give a hint to the viewer that there is like a third dimension, if I could say that, sure. involved in the image. And um, like many times if you take ICM images in, a, in the deep forest, the tree trunks may start to look like a person. So when you look at the image itself, uh, the viewer can see, okay, this, this is taken in a forest, but who is that person over there? And he starts to create a story in his mind. Mm -hmm. And he starts to visualize things in his imagination. The, the person was never there. It, it was just a shape of a tree that became started to look like a human mm -hmm. in the ICM image. Mm -hmm. And that's my aim, to take such images that there would be this third element which didn't exist in the, in the um, subject matter at all. And that creates a story. It's one story, maybe one story in my mind, but it can be another story in the, uh, in the viewer's mind. Sure. He brings his own elements and his own thoughts to the story. Right. I'm struck, though, by the idea that, and I'm wondering, for you, you know, using your example of the forest and the figure that appears, my guess is that you're not typically aware of that until after you look at the result? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens most, most times. Okay. Like, I have taken an image in my, at home, in my, um, what do you call this room? A mudroom, maybe. So, yeah, so that, 
entryway entryway so that I'm the image is looking out through the window of the entryway and there are two people standing there in the image I had no idea that something like that would show up in the image when I was taking it it was just stunning colors stunning uh, sunsets in the sky what I saw through the window and I took the image and where did these two guys come from? <laughs> gotcha. So there's yeah, a little really there's a little bit of like rolling the dice to see kind of what appears out of the unseen as you were stating. Yeah, absolutely. It's I'm not saying that it's 50/50 with the skill and technique and element of surprise, but maybe 70 skill and technique and 30 is the element of surprise. Sure. Well, I mean, that makes it interesting and exciting, I would, I would imagine. It does, yeah. And that makes it so exciting that you can photograph the same subject, like my entryway. I could photograph it one month every day, and it will be different every day that I take the pictures. And the two guys probably never appear again. Right. And I think yeah. that's where I maybe have gotten hung up on the, in the past is that I've always wanted to have that control or intention before I started taking the image. Um, and what maybe I need to do is just let go of that and see what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to, you have to have a lot of playfulness yes. with you when you go out, you know, forget the rules. There are no rules. There are, ways to get better results but they are not rules mm -hmm. no one is saying that you must have aperture 22 in order to have the great big depth of field etc those don't exist in icm and that that's that's what makes it so fun i love it really i love it and yeah me too so <laughs> You, you had sent over this um, graphic that you had designed. I, I presume you're the one that designed it. And um, yeah. we'll put it up here on the screen for our viewers. And it'll also be um, in the show notes on my website for the podcast. But maybe you could walk through kind of what this graphic is trying to explain in terms of yeah. ICM and kind of, well, I don't even know exactly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to depend on you for this yeah. one. Okay. So I have tried to visualize here my thought of ICM photography. In the inner circle, I have written these words, colors, shapes, form, light, style, composition, guidelines. It's all those things that you consciously take care of when you do traditional photography. So the inner circle there is the traditional photography. And there are your rules <laughs> kind of thing. Right. You have to you have to take care of the light and, and you have to check that the composition is good and all of these things. But then when you let go a little bit, we move on to the next circle. You start you go beyond the technical things and you start to look for things like expression and freedom and the mood what you want to convey in your image and the depth i'm not talking about depth of field but the depth uh, of emotions for example the depth at which you want to touch the viewer and once you reach those you start to make a connection to your unconscious and that's what i see and touches i feel mm. so that's the outer layer I have to say it works really well, and I feel like you could use this for non-ICM photography as well. Why not? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it works. Yeah, you know, you start not? thinking about yeah. how these different things are related, and it, once you start you know, detracting yourself from those conscious decisions, those other things can start to emerge in your photography. Yeah, exactly. And then you might communicate even better with your viewers. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I like it. And art in general. It works really yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. That's something I drew up last summer when I was contemplating it. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> right. I think we all have those moments. You know, it's like, what, what oh, yeah, is this? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of bridging kind of the two concepts we've discussed in the podcast here so far, I know you, you do photojournalism, you know, as your day job, and you do ICM kind of as a hobby to recharge your batteries. Um, obviously, these two forms of photography are very different. They're quite at odds. As you described, they're 180 degrees from each other. How does that work for you in terms of your thought process as a photographer? Um, today, I, I don't mean today, Saturday, but in general nowadays, I'm concentrating more and more on my artistic work in my thoughts. And I have less and less thinking for the photojournalism. Of course, every time I go out on a photo shoot, I think what I'm required of, mm -hmm. what, what, what am I asked to do, how can I succeed in that. But I guess it has become, I've done it now for so long that it's become quite a routine. I was going to say it's probably second nature at this point. It is, yeah. I don't have to think about it too much unless there's something very challenging. Um, but more and more I have my, my thought process about photography is about storytelling. I mean, photojournalism, storytelling, but now it's moved into storytelling with ICM. How can I tell stories with ICM? Mm -hmm. And that is something I want to more and more aim for. And it has also become part of my work um, in the last three or four years. So that I also do ICM as part of my job. Ah. Earlier it was just a hobby, but now I do do workshops and courses and things like that, which also bring me an income sure. via ICM. Yeah, that's great. Uh, kind of along those same lines, I'm curious if or how your photojournalism work you know, or your ICM work informs or influences the other. I wish my ICM work could influence my photojournalism. I really wish it could, but I don't think the publishers would like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what? Uh, Kaisa, what is this? Yeah. We did not pay you, really you for this. You really have to buy a tripod. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this person? So, in that way, they don't, at least in that direction, they don't influence so much. But of course, as a photojournalist, I get to go to many places, interesting homes and works and uh, industrial plants and mines and, you know, a lot of places. And I can find in those many interesting subjects to do ICM as well. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, very often there is a time frame that we are working at that you can't stay there for another two hours doing ICM of all of the corners they have. But that way it could influence. But yeah, I really wish there could be a little more artistic um, touch for the photojournalism, but the world isn't ready for that yet. <laughs> I <think. laughs> well, I suspect though that your background in photojournalism has given you kind of the technical know-how so that operating your camera is basically you know like riding a bicycle yes absolutely it's like extension of your fingers mm -hmm. and your hands so you don't have to i don't have to think that um, which button is where and wh which way do i have to adjust now the exposure or whatever it's it's all in your spinal cord and it comes kind of automatically right it of course helps a lot yeah yeah. All right. Absolutely. All right. Well, <clears throat> I know that you're involved in what's called the ICM PhotoMag Network, and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about that community and the ICM PhotoMag itself. Yeah. Um, the ICM PhotoMag is founded by Stephanie Johnson, mm -hmm. who lives in Iowa. And actually, Two days ago, we had our third um, inaugural 
this should come out, uh -huh. so it's three years old now. It's a quarterly e-magazine, comes out four times a year, and Stephanie has done a huge job putting together a super magazine. And in the very first issue, which was published, uh, she asked me to be featured in the magazine. She had found me through the internet, through uh, Instagram. And uh, before the magazine came out, the issue came out, she asked if there was, if I would like to do some kind of contribution for the magazine on a regular basis, which of course I was really happy to do and um, we have worked together since. Yeah. And then comes COVID and uh, of course. Yeah, everything. No, it didn't stop the e-mag, of course, the ICM photo mag but it stopped a lot of the other jobs. And then uh, I, I um, sent Stephanie a message that maybe we could hold an ICM workshop online mm -hmm. since people need something to do. And then Morak Patterson, who's a Scottish ICM photographer, had asked the same question from Stephanie at the same time. <laughs> so we decided, the three of us, to put together an, um, New Beginnings Workshop, and that was 2001, winter 2001, 2021, sorry, yes, 2021. And we had the first workshop, and it was very successful, and we had the second workshop, and then we thought that we want to make some kind of extension of these workshops, like a continuous learning mm -hmm. community. And in June of 21, we opened the ICM Photomag Network community, which is a membership community. People can join, they buy the membership, and they get all the content that we, we um, create. Everything is ICM-based, and uh, it's an international community. We have people from all over the world, a little bit over 200 members. Mm. And we work on a certain theme for a couple of months, and we have three um, live uh, sessions during the two-month period. Yeah. And then we have guest, uh, guest lectures as well. And it's a great opportunity for our members to learn and see different aspects of ICM, but it's an excellent opportunity for us leaders to learn as well. Yeah. Because um, you can imagine that when we have a theme, like currently we, our theme is wind. Ah. Hmm. Wind is the theme and how do you visualize wind in ICM? Right, that's a that's tough one. The task. Yeah, that's the task we throw to the members, but we leaders, we have to provide content based on the theme first. And that really is a great opportunity for our creativity to make that content. And I have learned so much during the two years that we've been doing this. I bet. Well, other than uh, the ICM Photomag and the community you guys have built, if someone's looking to learn more about ICM or learn techniques, uh, where should they start? Well, this is a great opportunity and good question now because Mark Patterson and I, we have just um, uh, opened in June, end of June, uh, something called the ICM Photo Academy. And this is a place where people can find online self-study courses. And we offer courses for all levels of photographers. So we have a very elementary ICM technical course there. So if you've never done ICM, you can take that one, study on your own, and get feedback at the end of the course from us on your images. We have also advanced level courses, but we also offer mentoring and portfolio reviews. And we also are going to offer soon, it's not really out yet, inspirational course. Mm. You know how all photographers, they get to this point that I love photography, but I just lost my inspiration. Or you have this mental block. So we also offer something for that, medicine for that. 
in terms of ICM. Well, that's never so I, that's never happened to me before. I'm just kidding. It <laughs> <That> happens <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have to look for totally new sources for inspiration, and then it comes again. Yeah. So that is something that um, uh, people could look for. But then, of course, together with uh, Stephanie Morag and I, we also offer this New Beginnings workshop, which is a, a um, process-based ICM workshop on storytelling. Oh, I love it. Nice. So it's not a technical course at all, but it concentrates all on the message and the story that your images can create. Nice. And we offer those spring and, and fall. All right. So there are some tools also. And um, where can people go to learn more about that? What's the uh, website? Uh, people can learn about the New Beginnings um, Storytelling Workshop at uh, icmphotomag.com. And underneath there, there's workshops. Perfect. Perfect. So, and we have the next starting, well, the next is starting in August, mid-August okay. is the next session. Which is next in the, in his, it's in the past, so, but they'll be ongoing the beyond that. Yep, yeah, they'll be ongoing. And we're also planning to have like a masterclass version for those who have already done the new beginnings. Nice. That's also coming up soon yeah, cool. with the three of us. All right. Well, my last yeah. question is, who do you recommend for the podcast? I have three people that I would like to recommend. And the first one is Stephanie Johnson, mm -hmm. who's the founder of the ICM Photomag, and uh, my partner, Maya Morag's partner in the community. And uh, she has done an incredible job putting the magazine together and build it, building the network around the magazine. And then, of course, the three of us together in the community. And. If someone is devoted to ICM, Stephanie Johnson is, so I think yeah. she would be a great a great guest for you. Uh, I know Morag Patterson has been your guest already, and therefore I, rec I would also like to recommend Bill Ward, who's a British photographer living in Wales. Uh, Bill has two professions. He's an actor, quite a famous actor in Britain actually, but he's also a photographer. And uh, he does both. He does traditional uh, landscape photography and he does ICM as well. Okay. So he has a good perspective to both and he does a lot of black and white work as well, which brings a very interesting uh, season to ICM. Yeah, as could I could imagine as you were talking about that earlier, I was like, hmm, I haven't seen a ton of ICM black and white, but I've seen a little bit of it in the... The little bit that I've seen is a little bit, it, it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of it that you see is created in post-processing Right, too. right. And with the adding textures and things like that. Mm -hmm. But ICM is difficult. ICM, black and white, very difficult because you lose the color contrast. Right, now you're just looking, working in tones and yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's very difficult. But Bill Ward would be a good guest I would like to recommend. And then the third one I would like to recommend is Swedish photographer Erik Malm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Erik is um, someone who's been doing ICM for about 20 years, and he has developed a very special technique that I think only he masters the way someone can which means that uh, he uses very long exposures, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, mm. and he keeps the camera still first mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time, and then he moves it. So his images, um, his signature in his images is that he has some areas very sharp, mm. and then he has this nice impressionistic blur around it. And... Um, I think you might you you would enjoy and your listeners would enjoy hearing about that if you could get Eric. He's very busy. He's working on a big book project at the moment, but eventually. That's interesting. I um I did that exact same technique. Just I was like, oh, I wonder what that would do. Um, 
last fall on my trip and it's actually pretty cool. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's very cool. But have a look at Eric's work. He's both in Instagram and Facebook. And, awesome. And has really cool work. And he's also done a lot of uh, ICM on animals and birds. Oh, yeah. Which many people don't do because it's difficult. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds so impossible. Eric, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Eric has done especially birds. So Okay. Well, you so know what I love? I love about these conversations is I always learn something, and uh, today I did learn some stuff, so thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. But I want to ask you one question before we finish Okay, off. cool. How much ICM do you actually do? Is it just trying, or...? You know, you not a ton. Uh, I think I, I dabble, you know. Maybe it's um, maybe once or twice a year for the last five years so not a lot okay yeah not, not yeah. a ton all right okay yeah. good well maybe after this conversation you might want to devote three days straight for icm right see yeah if i ever it evolves and unfolds i was gonna say if i ever hit a wall where i'm like i'm so bored what should i try i probably will do icm next my problem well yeah. it's not a problem but i'm actually very lucky is that at least for the last few years now, whenever I go out, I'm just very happy with kind of what I'm doing and like, yeah. but you know, if that changes, I'm pretty sure I'll try ICM. Good. Yeah. Excellent. And then give me a call how it goes. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll share my really terrible ICM images with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will be fine. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, this has been super fun and thanks for taking time out of your schedule to, to join us. Thank you. Thanks so much for this opportunity. It was really enjoyable. Thank you. Well, thank you to Kaisa for the wonderful chat on today's episode. I was so motivated by you that I went out and did some ICM on the day that we recorded. I hiked up to my favorite uh, hiking and training ground, which is covered in yellow wildflowers, which made for a nice subject for ICM. I gave it a go, and I posted them in the show notes of our episode if, if anyone wants to take a look. They're not very good, but it did give me something new to try, so thank you very much. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please do consider supporting the podcast on Patreon. Patreon is literally how I put food on the table for my family, and any help is greatly appreciated. Just go to patreon.com forward slash fstop and listen, or visit the link in today's show notes. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.